0: Hello, hello, welcome to the podcast, it's Al, I'm just checking in with you on a Sunday morning as ever And it's uh, it's ten past eight as I'm recording this And the weather looks like it doesn't know what it wants to do Doesn't know what it wants to do It looks like it, part of it wants to be sunny, part of it looks kind of all grey and thundery Oh, Let me have a little play with this nozzle on the back of my microphone La 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 la, that's better. That's better. Yeah, so how are you? Just checking in, seeing how you are? Have you had a good week? Have you had a good week? are you having a are you having a good weekend? I tell you what yesterday I got absolutely drownded. Do you remember that monsoon that we had? it um, had <laughs> it came down yesterday, um between the times of ten and twelve. it was just like, Someone was. All the angels were up there with buckets of water, and they were hailing them at me because I was in the middle of the park. I thought, I know it'll be a good idea to go and have a walk in the park. Yep. <laughs> so the moment I came in, I had to strip off pretty much completely um, and uh, put like me gym jams on. Put me gym jams on. Settle down and watch Liverpool. Yay. <laughs> that turned out well as well, didn't it? And the goals were raining in um, this time. So, uh, my word, yeah. I know we had a man sent off and everything, and I don't think it was a sending off. I think it was a yellow card, really. But um, that aside, how many boring games have I sat, you know, at Anfield watching Liverpool trying to break down? a 10 man team, and then yeah, people say, Well, it's often hard, you know, to break down 10 men, and it often is because they they kind of camp out in their own half and they become very difficult to break down. You know, that's what normally happens when you go a man down. Well, not with us, we collapse. So, uh, everyone's talking about the the Marne sending off, but um, once again, I say Liverpool can't defend. And it's, it's a systemic thing, you know. I, people keep talking about they want this centre-half and that centre-half. It's beside the point. You know, this is something that's been going on for about six years now, where Liverpool are incapable of defending. And we've swapped from Brendan Rodgers to Jurgen Klopp, who apparently is this master coach. And we're great going forward, like we were under Brendan, but we can't defend for Toffee, and so we're never going to win anything uh, of value in my view so yeah I mean I don't know how many centre-backs we've used in the last five or six years I mean everyone from Daniel Agger to Mamadou Sacco to you know you can go through a list of names you'd probably go into double figures in terms of the centre-backs that we've actually used in that time and we still can't defend so uh, is that systemic or are we just keeping on getting the wrong personnel? Well, I know what I think. I think if we had a if we had a manager in who could defend, then with the players that we've got at the moment, we'd start defending. It's as simple as that, really. And also, we'd start making purchases in midfield that would enable us to defend better as well. So, um, yeah, I'm having a football rant to start off. But um, I, I arrived back sopping wet just as my mum arrived because I invited her round to watch the game. Um, and uh, so that was nice. And um, she cleaned my kitchen as well. <laughs> she cleaned my kitchen. She's been trying to clean my kitchen for a long time, and I've been very resistant. I said, I said to her the other day. She said, Why won't you let me come and clean your kitchen? And I said, Well, I don't want you to come and clean my kitchen because you'll judge me. Because <laughs> your mum's a real clean freak, you know. And um, so I said, No, I, I don't want you to because. Because you'll judge me," she said. "I won't. I won't judge you, son," she said. "I won't judge you," she said. "I might be thinking to myself as I'm cleaning you, scruffy bastard," <laughs> but I won't judge you. And I said, "Well, that's a judgment right there." But um, <laughs> because she came round, um, I had no option but to uh, to let her see the kid. And it wasn't so bad. She said it wasn't so bad. She was probably in her head saying, "You scruffy bastard." <laughs> But it looks all very nice now, so so thanks for that. Um, yeah, what else? Oh yeah, a funny thing, uh, I shared this on Facebook, so you might have already seen it if you're uh, if you're on Facebook. <laughs> this is hilarious. You know the things that people do? There's a guy on Twitter, I'm not going to name him because that would be nasty. There's a guy on, on Twitter, what they might call a Twitter influencer, because he's got like 64,300 followers on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> he put on his uh, Twitter there, um, couple beside me at the restaurant is celebrating their 49th wedding anniversary. I'm anonymously buying them dinner. Now, he tweeted that to 64,300 people and claimed he was anonymously buying them dinner. Get over yourself. <laughs> God, lordy, lordy. Um, yeah, I forgot to tell you about my weight last week. Do um, you know, I've hit a bit of a plateau, a bit of a plateau. I've just weighed myself now and I think I've forgotten where I, where I am. Where am I? Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm just scribbling down numbers here because uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten what I am. I'm 207.4, so I've basically lost, um, I've lost five pounds in 10 weeks which I know doesn't sound amazing but a couple of things to bear in mind here is firstly I had that mad weekend um where I was preparing for that hospital thing where I wasn't really allowed to eat normal food so during that time what's basically happened is that I put three pound on in one week do you remember that so I've had that to face and the second thing I'd say is that um I've got like a squeaky wheeze. Actually, can you? I don't know if that's you're picking that up. There you go. As I'm breathing in, I've got a squeaky wheeze. Let me have a swig of water and see if I can get rid of the squeaky wheeze. Maybe I don't need water. Maybe I need WDM forty. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, every week on the on the podcast we have our Alan drinks water um, section of the show. Were you listening to me drink water? Very entertaining. What was I saying? Um, Oh, the second thing, yeah. The second thing to bear in mind is if you lose half a pound a week, if that's all you do, then over a year, that's 26 pounds, which is, I'm looking to lose 30 pounds. I've just banged the microphone. I banged the microphone because I've got my phone now because I want to tell you about Mark Woods. He is now, uh, the amount of weight he's losing is amazing. Uh, Mark is my friend who is doing this with me. So he started off, um, let's see. Is wow, he started off at sixteen six, and he's now down to 15, nine and a half, It looks like maybe three quarters. Fifteen nine and three quarters. That's astonishing, isn't it? So he's lost nearly a stone there. And um, so yeah, remember when we're both thirteen stone, we're getting our speedos on. We're doing a, we're going to do a lovely little uh, parade for you. So that's something to look forward to, isn't it? You'll enjoy that. <laughs> uh, I've been doing some. Uh, I've been doing some coaching this week, as ever. Um, yeah, if anyone would like some coaching, by the way, if you've got any kind of uh, thing that you're dealing with or dream that you're trying to build, I'll I'll do. Um, I'll stick two hours aside for you. Get in touch with me, and I'll just block off my calendar, and we'll have a, a deep coaching conversation together. Get in touch. I'm at Al at Parry Songs dot but i've been doing plenty of that this week as usual as well um so what else have i told you about um oh i tell you what's quite significant you know i've had me wobble in my voice and all that malarkey well i've been laying off the singing and um but i've got some gigs coming up you see i've got a gig coming up on the 23rd of september at bolton socialist club and i've got another gig coming up in Glossop the week after on the 30th of september at um, Glossop Labour Club, at the the Defiance sessions that Matt Hill runs. And um, I thought, well, i better get rehearsing. So I got my little rig out and got myself set up. And I did a full two-hour rehearsal and I felt fine. I felt fine. So I haven't recorded in a while afterwards and um, I've put that on a bit of a hiatus. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do my gigs on the 23rd and the 30th. I'm going to see how that goes. But hopefully I'll be back recording back in the studio again in October and November and December. So um, that's good because um, it felt all right. I mean, I can't say it felt totally 100%. But I did two hours and my voice didn't feel tired like it was doing. And so uh, I was pretty pleased with that. Yeah, so I might be back. I might be back, everyone. Woo! I might be back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see, what else? Um. Oh yeah, I finished reading Sapiens. I've been recommending this book, Sapiens, haven't I? And near the end of the book, it's basically a complete history of the human species. I tell you what, we are right vermin, us. Honestly, right vermin. And, and the problem with humans is we evolve quicker than nature can respond to us. So most... Let's say you've got an animal, because that's all we are. We're a mid-ranking ape, basically, that's ended up conquering the bloody world, as Shankly might say. But we're just a mid-ranking, unimportant ape. That's all we were. And uh, we've grown to be this thing. So let's say any other animal is, is kind of based on one continent. In order for that to get to another continent, it would have to evolve something. So it would have to be able to evolve wings in order to fly or it would have to evolve some sort of you know if it was a mammal like a whale some sort of snout on the top of its head so that it could swim through all the waters and all that sort of stuff and still survive and so it would have to evolve something and then as as that evolution happens and <clears throat> as we get more stuff that we're able to do this is like a big long thousands a year process and the The earth is able to kind of evolve with you and adjust and the ecosystem adjust. Well, humans, they they invent. We invent our own evolution. So we don't have to evolve wings. We build an airplane. We don't have to evolve a snout on the top of our heads over thousands of years. No, we just suss out how to do a boat and then suddenly we're everywhere. And um, we used to have these huge... Like, there was lots of huge game, basically, lots of huge mammals. But everywhere the humans went, we kill them off. I mean, had whales have been a land mammal, we wouldn't have whales anymore. It's only because they're in the sea that they still exist. So we used to have things like 30-foot sloths and massive rodents, which, I have to say, I don't particularly like the sound of a massive rodent. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You know, a 20-foot rat? No, thank you. But we did that, so so anything big like a mammoth or whatever, we killed off. And uh, so it's been a fascinating read. One of the things that really kind of, uh, you know, which which twists your mind a little bit, you know, um, when we broke out of the kind of human forager stage of our development, we were probably at our happiest then, you know, we'd just kind of get up, we'd go for a little forage, get some berries, um, you know, eat them. We'd be in a band of people that we knew and... You know, we 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 had a very wide knowledge base. We'd have to know about all sorts of stuff in order to to survive. We didn't work that much, you know. We'd got our food, and the rest of it was just communing. And um, then we got this agricultural revolution, which basically when we were doing backbreaking work, very specialized. You know, like now everyone's a specialist. Um, it's kind of like a, a freak of our evolution, really, our historical evolution, because back then specialism wasn't that helpful, you know, you had to know a little bit about medicine, you had to know a little bit about plants, you had to know a little bit about um, geography and how to navigate your way around, you had to know a little bit about animals, Um, a little bit about which fauna was poisonous and which wasn't, and a little bit about cooking, you know, you had all these kind of things that you had to know about. And now we kind of specialise, you know, I'm the guy that hammers the rivet into this bit of metal, you know. And that's what I do all day, every day. So we're actually much less kind of varied and interested. Um, The world is less interesting to us now as a result. Our work is far more mundane. And uh, I can't remember what I was saying. Oh yeah, wheat. So in the agricultural revolution, what this guy's basically saying is, you know, like we're there and we've got our big fields of wheat and we look after those fields of wheat what he was arguing is the species that we know as wheat has actually domesticated humans to propagate it so wheat has become quite a big part of our diet now but initially it was just a small part of our diet if we saw it we'd eat it but we'd eaten a whole load of other things as well as we were foraging about but whenever we found wheat we'd bring it back to uh, our temporary homestead and what would happen is bits of wheat would fall on the floor and of course that would be like a seed. And so more wheat would grow in the paths where we dropped it. And then increasingly we weren't needing to roam and forage as much as we did because this wheat was growing up and that was edible and nutritious. And so we started to eat wheat more and increasingly then we, we, you know, the the kind of wheat was was becoming more localized and more plentiful. So we were moving less. And in the end, wheat domesticated us, and then we had no need to move, so we had our own land. And in our own land, we had wheat. <laughs> and the wheat was still wild, of course, growing naturally and free, and, and we were in houses now. We were, we're, we're the ones who've been domesticated, because that's what domesticated means. And so the species of wheat has domesticated us, and so we spent our days then, instead of carefree out there foraging, finding things to eat and having quite a nice life. We'd be out doing backbreaking work in order to nurture the wheat, which had now got us in its control. As a species, wheat was controlling humans. Weird, eh? And then we'd be defending it, you know. We'd have guards around the wheat to protect it from other animals and to protect it from other humans. And there the wheat was propagated, now a huge source of our diet... So uh, isn't that weird, the idea that wheat as a species can actually domesticate the human race? Yeah, so that was quite interesting. But the thing that, near the end of the book, he he talks about happiness, which is a subject I often refer to. And, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting, really, because it's this question, isn't it, for, for people who are kind of progressives. It's like, how do you make a better world? And we're always focused on changing what's going on outside. But he was he was making the point, you see, that there's no real history of human happiness. Historians haven't charted this. There's been no way of doing it until recently. And biologists and historians have now come up with this kind of way of of measuring happiness so that we can start to correlate, you know, how much does money help, for instance? How much does health help? How much does family, community and... So what what brings us happiness? And they do this through um, they do this through um, well-being questionnaires. And on these kind of well-being questionnaires, they ask interview interviewees to grade things on a scale from zero to ten. And it's questions like um, well, statements you grade whether you agree with them. So it's a statement like I feel pleased with the way I am. That's one. Another one is I feel that life is very rewarding. I am optimistic about the future. Life is good. So the question in people on subjective well-being on on how we believe those statements are true for us. And it's funny that isn't it because in many ways, you know, someone coming from the personal development field as I do, a lot of those are self-directed really. You know, there's you don't really need to change the external world necessarily in order to feel pleased with the way you are in order to be optimistic in order to find life rewarding there's many ways isn't there to kind of uh, answer those questions positively without really changing the external world and if you if you if you find that for instance i'm not optimistic about the future and i don't feel that life is very rewarding there are changes that i can make about that without having to you know spill blood or or anything like that. And he was, he was looking at this and he was saying, you know, how many people were happier after the French Revolution than before? Like, and it triggered these questions in me. What is the purpose of... You know, what are we trying to achieve when we change the world, basically? When we change the external world, why do we do that? You know, we want people to have better lives, but is, does it come down to happiness? Is it something else? you know what is the point for instance of i don't know what is the point of what's the point of better housing if it doesn't make us happier and i'm not saying that we shouldn't have better housing i'm just asking the question why 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 would we want that why would we want say more money if it doesn't make us happier why would we want anything why would we want better health if it doesn't make us happier What is the point of all of this, I guess I'm thinking? What's the end goal? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have better health or we shouldn't have better housing, personally. I want better health, and uh, I want people to have better housing. But I'm just wondering why 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 we start targeting things in the external world. What are we actually trying to achieve? Is it happiness or is it something else? I'm unsure, really. But if it is happiness, then it begs the question whether that's really the right way to 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 get it. And maybe there's another way. You know, there's a line in um, one of my songs which says, how can you change the world when you can't change you? It's in the song John Lennon says, uh, John Lennon said rather, how can you change the world when you can't change you? And that's it, because as progressives, we're always trying to change every, everybody else or change the outside world or get Theresa May to do this instead of that. And yet we haven't, fully the one thing that we the the one world we do have full control over is the world of ourself and we haven't sussed out how to change that yet you know there's there's things that you know there's things that i do still where i think well that doesn't serve me so i best change that about myself so it serves me and so i'm in the process of changing me which i expect i'll be doing for the rest of my life and uh and so we've got all these people in the world incapable of changing the one thing that they do have complete power over which is themselves and their own emotions and their own patterns of behavior incapable of changing that world but try and drive everybody else instead and try and try and ensure that the world beats to their drum and uh, it's funny that isn't it really like what are we actually trying to achieve as progressives when we change the world because once we know that, and I'm not sure what the answer is, is it happiness? Is it something else? And if it is something else, why that's something else? Interesting philosophical question, I suppose. But if it is happiness, there might be other ways of uh, of finding that same happiness. For instance, I saw this thing because I'm, I'm quite interested in... Uh, minimalism, I, I, I'm not a minimalist but I kind of get it and I think I would like to be um, but I have far too much clutter for that, oh uh, god I'm like a paper explosion actually me <laughs> do you know the way snails leave um, Leave kind of them mucousy kind of trails behind, snails and slu- I'm like that with paper, I leave paper trails behind me wherever I go so I'll sit down and suddenly a pile of paper will, will emerge next to me yeah, but if if the point is to be happy, yeah, that's the thing. I, I was talking about. Um, I saw this this um, this study, and it said that we are three times wealthier than our grandparents were. Three times wealthier, you know, at the rate of kind of industrial and technological change, and and maybe even social change too. In that time, certainly social change in that time, we're now three times wealthier than our grandparents. But they reported themselves as being happier than we are. Now get your head around that one. So what's the point of spilling blood? What's the point of external revolutions? What's the point of social change if the result is that we become more miserable? And this is one of the things that came about in the book. That as we had these kind of big social changes like the uh, agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, it gave us this, it gave us that. We actually became more miserable. He, he says like with every invention, it puts us a mo- another mile away from the Garden of Eden. We actually had worse lives as a result of all of this stuff. And if we're after happiness, then there's, there's, there's ways that I can become pleased with the way I am. There's ways in which I can begin to find life very rewarding as it is. There's ways in which I can learn to be optimistic about the future. There's actually a book by a guy named Martin Seligman, um, called Learned Optimism. So we can learn that stuff. We don't need to chop anyone's heads off. We can we can just buy a book. It's about six ninety nine. <laughs> it's easier, isn't it? More likely to happen if you want to become more optimistic. If these are the measures of happiness in the world, that it's a subjective well being thing. Well, we're in charge of that subjective well-being, aren't we? Let me know what you think, because I'm curious. I'm curious what you think. But these are the things that kind of came up to me. And it's that tension inside someone like me who I want to be empowered, and I want other people to be empowered in order to to um, take whatever personal power and personal change is available to us. And yet, I also want the world to be a better place. And then there's that tension. It's kind of like, well, do we meet our goals by changing By changing us? Or do we meet our goals by trying to change the outside world? How possible is that? You know, maybe if everyone just... Maybe social change comes from individuals undergoing personal change simultaneously. I don't know. I'm throwing these questions out there. I'd love to hear what you think, though. So uh, give us a shout back. Yeah, so I've been reading that. Um... Well, I haven't I've, I've, I've just been reading it, I've read it. But I'll, because it's on audiobook, I'll probably read it again. You know, chuck it on in the car or something. It's um, I'm reading that Byron Katie book again. I actually found it useful. I used it with a coaching client this week. I won't tell you the details of it, obviously. But it just came into my mind at a certain moment. I thought, I wonder if some of these questions would be helpful now. And I got this instinct that they would be, and, and they were. I didn't go through the whole Byron Katie process. But the question of... You know, when someone states a belief to say, well, and is that true? Because just that process of inquiring got them to question the belief. And they were like, actually, I don't know if I do believe that's true. So I'm, I'm rereading that and it's still kind of annoying me, but I know there's value in there. I keep on returning to this, don't I? So um, I'll, I'll see where I go with that. Um, let's see. Oh, speaking of all this sort of stuff. I got all my psychotherapy stuff through all my resources, and um, so i I've planned my year ahead now because I start in a couple of weeks' time doing uh, re- resuming my psychotherapy training. So I got a load of resources through from the um, from the training institute, and uh, yeah, so I've I've got a whole load of stuff to read. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that again. And I'm looking forward to uh, having discussions with people who are also into that again. Um, so so hopefully that doesn't really irritate me when I do it. <laughs> it might drive... I'm giving myself a mantra that I'm there to learn. I'm there to get my qualifications in. And I'm not there to change anyone or to save the industry. So that's my kind of thing. You know, like Byron Katie says, there's my business, there's your business, and there's the world's business. So I'm going to try and stay in my business uh, where that's concerned, so um, it's been it's been quite an intellectual show today, hasn't it? I've not been messing about. it. Do you know what though? I've been I've been up since quarter to six. Um, I have this thing. My brain is like, do you remember when you were a kid at Christmas and you'd wake up at a stupid hour and your parents would want you to go to sleep because they'd only just finished. No, they, they'd only had like an hour's sleep so far, and you're like, hey, it's Christmas, yeah has he been no no go to sleep now go to sleep he's not been yet you have to go to sleep a bit longer but you don't you just you just sat (laughs) you just sat kneeling on the bed looking out the window at the darkness outside waiting to see all the houses lights go on and when there's a sufficient number of lights on you feel as though you can bother them again "Ah, I think he's been well my that's what goes on in my head constantly of a night time so like I'll go to sleep and then I I tend to wake up at some point during the night. I don't just kind of crash through for eight hours. So at some point during the night, and today it was like five forty-five. Uh, but sometimes it's earlier. I'll wake up, and I might just go to the loo or something like that. You know, have a comfort break as they call it. <laughs> and and then when I'm awake, I'm in that kind of Christmas mode, and and my brains my brains being all parental saying, Alan Alan, and go to sleep now. You you're really tired. Your body's very tired. Just put your sleep mask on. I have a sleep mask, by the way. Like Patty and Selma at The Simpsons. Put your sleep mask on. That's an image for you, isn't it? Put your sleep mask on now, Alan. Go back to... That's it. Cuddle in. Cuddle in. That's it. Good lad. Go to bed now. That's it. Go to sleep. Good night. And then the child brain is like, Yay! Yay! I'm up now. Let's do things. Yeah. Let's think about things. Woo! Let's think about things. Yeah. Let's read that book. What's happening on Facebook? Woo! And and I can't. <laughs> Put a podcast on. Go to sleep. No. And that's what happens. So I, I'm knackered as I'm talking to you now. But I've been up since five forty-five, and now I'm doing a, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So uh yeah I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to deal with that kind of uh how to how to get the parental voice to win, how to calm that kind of inner child who thinks it's christmas morning and is bouncing off the walls. Because as soon as my brain's awake it's like, "Oh, oh, let's find things to do. I'm curious already." And that's why I can't go to sleep either. It's like, "Go, it's probably time to go to bed now, Al." "No, there's probably things to do." "No, no, it's it, you're going to be really tired. It's like half 1 in the morning." It's half one, you only slept for three hours last night. So so go to bed now and have a sleep. No, there's things to do. I'll, 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 I'll read this. I'll, I'll come in a minute. I just want to read this chapter. So yeah, I'm never sleeping me. <laughs> I'm like Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> surviving on four hours sleep a night. Yeah, didn't affect her mood, did it? Hey, didn't affect her mood. She was good-natured and warm-hearted, wasn't she? I've got a, um, yeah, I'll leave you with this, actually. I've got a, a, a connecting communication course on the 23rd, so that's in less than two weeks' time. It'd be great if you joined us on that. We've got a few few spaces left. It's only a tenner. To be honest, I would run it donation only, but people would say they'd come and then wouldn't. You know, it's that one of them Facebook events where people click going and never show up. So, yeah, uh, on the 23rd of September, 10 o'clock in the morning... Um, and it's going to be in Hanover Street in Liverpool. And I'm going to teach you all about connecting communication. So come along. It's a lovely group. I've run it several times now. It always goes down really, really well. You know, I did say, didn't I, that I talk about forgiveness. We had a little conversation last week, didn't we, about forgiveness and the nature of it. And, um, you know, I listened to a few things um, about forgiveness. But is the best i could do I, I i dug up an old conversation that i had with uh, my friend gabby and um let's see we had a conversation about forgiveness and i think it was after the it was after the election i won't go into the detail of the conversation just in case you know it's private i'll just tell you my little bits but we were having a conversation around it because you know trump and The Tories are in again, even though they've been with a reduced majority. And, well, you know how it is, Brexit and all this sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, so this this is my take on forgiveness. And I'm no expert on this. There's people in my life who I haven't fully forgiven yet either. So, uh, you know, this is work I've got to do. Like I say, you know, why why change the world when you can't even change yourself? You know, I'm still working on that one, as we all are. Um, but it'd be nice if the world changed too, wouldn't it? It would be nice if the world changed too. Yeah, this is what I, I this is my take on forgiveness. The the last time I seriously thought about it, which was around the aftermath of the election. So I said that maybe forgiveness is about seeing the need that the other person was seeking to meet, but seeking to meet it in a tragic way. So what I mean by a tragic way is that they do this in a really costly way. So that they're trying to meet it. So for instance, I did this um, podcast on the other podcast where I interview people. And I did an interview with this guy named John Lash, who was, um, who was a big practicer of nonviolent communication now, but actually murdered someone when he was 18, shot them with a pistol and when i was talking to john i asked him what need he felt that he was meeting by being angry and violent as a young man and he said that he thinks that he was trying to meet his need for safety which kind of made sense to me you know if you you know if he's aggressive then who who dare go near him and hurt him you know everyone keep away from john lash kind of thing so he was trying to meet his need for safety and it's tragic of course because not only was it costly to that person, who who he ended up actually murdering, but it was very costly for John as well because he ended up in this. Um, well, he ended up in probably the most unsafe environment he could possibly have envisaged. You know, a, a, a high security prison in in the deep south of America. So, um, so I think maybe when you're trying to forgive somebody. Maybe get in touch with the need because then you can try and, then what you can do is divorce their strategy, which of course you don't like, with the kind of need that they were striving to meet because we're all striving to meet our needs. So maybe that puts us in touch with the other person more than just judging their strategy. And uh, maybe in that moment of seeing the other person's vulnerability, we can separate the strategy from. From the person striving to meet that need, albeit in a really tragic, costly way, and maybe that's maybe somewhere in there is where forgiveness lives. And um, what else did I say? I said something else on this. Um, let me look. I'm just scrolling through my phone now. Yeah, this is what I this is what I shared back then. I said in most cases. My sense is that a barrier to forgiveness is the failure to take the next step from anger and hurt to understanding the needs that cause the hurt. So we're in a state of like we're hurt, so we're judging, and we don't actually then take that next step and go, okay, I'm feeling really distressed at the moment. What needs are going on for me at the moment that are not being met? So we stay stuck in that judgment because... Being stuck in judgment is how we're trained in our culture to respond to pain. And you can't really forgive from a place of judgment. So here's what I think about forgiveness. I think that it's necessary to go beyond judgment because it's only then that we can actually process and understand our own pain. While we're in pain, it's very difficult to forgive, isn't it? And I think often when when you're in a state of you know, something something awful has happened. It's often a state of senselessness, isn't it? You know, like, I need to understand this. I think often the need behind a pain that lingers is, I need to understand, I need some clarity around this. So anyway, let me go back to what I was saying. Yeah, so I think it's necessary to go beyond judgment because it's only then we can process and understand our own pain. So what's the pain about? What is it I need here that the pain is telling me to have a look at? Because while those needs stay unmet, the pain stays. And I think, I think that often what we need is to understand. So in the face of things which seem so senseless, there's a pain in not being able to understand it. And often, once you gain an, an understanding, and that understanding is often the kind of empathy that I've just spoke of, where you actually get in touch with, like, well, what were they feeling and needing in that moment? What, what needs were they trying to pursue, albeit with a strategy that I really hate? What needs were they trying to pursue? And maybe that's where the understanding comes from. Maybe the forgiveness is in that place of going beyond judgment into a place of empathy for the person that you're trying to forgive. Because that empathy will then give you the understanding that you need in order to limit your own pain. Because once you understand the pain of not understanding, at least at least that pain goes away. And uh, then you're in a better place, I think, to be able to forgive. So often gaining an understanding and empathy, if you like, will soothe at least some of the pain within us. As it will meet our need for understanding. And as needs are met, pain is soothed and eased. So that's my guess at it. That's my guess at it, that the way to forgiveness is to deal with our own need for understanding. And the way to deal with our own need for for understanding is to try and step in the shoes of the person who caused us, you know, whose actions resulted in us needing to forgive them in the first place. And so that's empathy, isn't it? That's what, what needs were they trying to meet, albeit tragically? And once you understand those needs... Maybe that's, maybe that place of empathy is where forgiveness can grow. So I know Bill wrote in a couple of weeks ago, didn't you, Bill? And we were having a chat about it. Um, so I'm wondering what, what you think about that. Not just Bill, but everybody out there who was listening. All the thousands and millions of people who tune into this podcast every Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's me done. Um yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been chatting about meaningful things this, this week, haven't I? Meaningful things. Meaningful things. Well, I hope you found it very meaningful then. Otherwise, what was the point of that then? So I'm going to play you out with a song now. And remember, um, the, that, that connecting communication thing, if you want to explore like the stuff I've mentioned with forgiveness, I'm actually using there a model of connecting communication in order to try and do that. So if you want to get on that course... I'll give you the link. It's at Ticketour.com forward slash Parry events. Ticketour.com forward slash Parry events. Or you can write to me if you want to at al at parrysongs.co.uk. I always like people writing to me anyway. It's always nice to get a bit of feedback. So that's ticketorcom forward slash Parry events. And I'm on al at parrysongs.co.uk. And if you want to know where the gigs are coming up this month, then go to parisongscouk forward slash gigs. What else could it possibly be? So, lovely to chat here. Maybe I'll have an afternoon nap later, seeing as I've only slept. Because that sometimes happens with me as well. You know, my inner child gets tired. Oh, bless. Look at him. Look at him sleeping there. Look at him. <laughs> so that's all for me. Tatty by everyone is the song of the week.
1: Within this tribe, if I want him, will be mine. Any man within this tribe can father me a child. How do we know the father is? We're us to proclaim. We only know who the mother is, so they take the mothers. Time we all grew smart, food is not what we have caught. We discovered how to farm, now we have property. But how do we know the father is? We're shown a superclaim. We only know who the mother is, so they take the mothers. And so the men grow restless at this maternal line. Another man's son inherits, he says, the property that's mine. But how can we know the father is? We're sure to proclaim. We only know who the mother is, so they take the mother's name. Your son can gain the things his father owns it's By passing them down the father's line The word overthrown But how can we know the father is With us to proclaim Tie the woman to just one man And bound her up in the chains So don't dare ever say again That any man is yours Don't liberate your own desires They'll brand you as a whore Don't dare ever say again That any man is yours Don't liberate your own desires They'll brand you as a whore But if you're not contented with The deal from history Remember, it's not natural It's just for property So if you're not contented with The deal from history Remember, it's not natural It's just for property